Last year, I had the opportunity to list my Montecito guest house on Airbnb. This was part of a special project that Airbnb spearheaded to build connection and to make the world feel a little less lonely. It was such a pleasure to get to know my Airbnb guests over dinner and share my home with them so that they could rest and recharge on their trip. But typically, the beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Being a host on Airbnb is great for those who travel frequently, have extra space, or own a seasonal home. If you've stayed at an Airbnb, you know the unique experience it offers. And now you can share that same experience with others in addition to earning additional income on the side. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. When you are pioneering anything or introducing new ideas to the culture, you get criticized. You do? Yeah. <laughs> Did you hear about that? <laughs> I didn't find the one. I found someone I respected and we made it the one. In the sort of longing kind of view of love, people understand each other as if by magic. Nothing in itself is addictive on the one hand. On the other hand, everything could be addictive if there's an emptiness in that person that needs to be filled. I now know that nobody changes until they change their energy. And when you change your energy, you change your life. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. This is the Goop Podcast, bringing together thought leaders, culture changers, creatives, founders and CEOs, scientists, doctors, healers and seekers, here to start conversations. Because simply asking questions and listening has the power to change the way we see the world. Here we go. Today's guest is Dr. Will Cole. Will is a functional medicine practitioner, author, and a very dear friend. His new book is called Gut Feelings, Healing the Shame-Fueled Relationship Between What You Eat and How You Feel. It's out today from Goop Press. In it, Will uses research and lessons gathered from his patients to illuminate the gut-brain connection and the relationship between our physical and emotional well-being. Today we talk about shame flammation. It's a term Will coined after years of seeing how stress and trauma were influencing the physical health of his patients. Will explains how to nurture the nervous system and why eating gut-calming foods can help with mental health. He shares the process he takes his patients through to help them reconnect with their body and trust their gut instinct again. As I've said many times before, Will's program has truly made such a huge impact on my health and on my life, and I'm very excited that his book is finally out in the world today. So let's get to Will Cole. I'm so excited to talk to you as always. As those of you know, you hear me talk about Dr. Cole all the time ad nauseum. He is an incredible functional medicine expert who consults with people via webcam. In fact, you were very early in the telehealth. You were way ahead of that curve, weren't you? 13 plus years, yeah. 13 plus years. You specialize in clinically investigating underlying factors of chronic disease and customizing a functional medicine approach for all kinds of, all the things that ail us, whether thyroid, autoimmune, hormone imbalances, digestive disorders, brain problems, etc. He is the best-selling author of Ketotarian, The Inflammation Spectrum, Intuitive Fasting, and his newest book, Gut Feelings. And you also have the best wellness podcast going called The Art of Being Well. 
Thank you. It's really good. Thank you so much. But I, I guess I want to start, you know, gut feelings. It's such um, evocative title. Mm-hmm. And I think it really brings into focus this idea, this connection between the gut and the, the gut brain access that's talked about so often. Mm-hmm. And so much is created in the gut, right? Like our intuition is in our gut. Mm-hmm. And so I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about how the genesis of the book came around. Mm-hmm. Well, like everything, all the other books I've written, I think of the countless conversations I've had with patients. And just when you hear things enough times and see enough things on labs and people going through similar things, it's just like, okay, I need to write about this. This is not just a one person thing. And I think in many ways, my patients are kind of like canaries in the coal mine for the rest of the world because they tend to be a little bit more intuitive with their bodies and know they need to do something about their health. And then I think all oh, the people that I'm not talking to, how can I get this information out there? So it's talking about gut health for the past 13 years. My job, a lot of it, it's centered around poop and (laughs) microbiome (laughs) testing. And it's so normal for me, but then when I'm outside of my bubble, I'm like, oh, this is actually a strange job, (laughs) strange job. But I don't flinch talking about it, right? Because it's just so normalized. But it's really this bi-directional relationship between mental health and physical health. And I am such a fan, an advocate for this normalization of talking about mental health and the, the destigmatization around mental health care. I love that. But I feel like coming from a functional medicine perspective, it's kind of in many ways an incomplete conversation because it's still, we will separate mental health from physical health. But the reality is mental health is physical health and really talking about what's the researchers, what are they looking at in the medical journals of what's driving mental health issues? So exploring the gut-brain axis, exploring this, this what's known as, in the research as the cytokine model of cognitive function. Cytokines are pro-inflammatory cells. So it's researchers looking at how inflammation impacts how the brain works. So gut feelings, it was just a matter of when I talked about this dichotomous thing between gut and feelings, the physiological and the psychological, underlying gut problems, chronic infections like mold toxins, chronic Lyme disease, nutrient deficiencies on sort of the gut physical side, and then the feeling side, the mental, emotional, spiritual stuff, things like chronic stress and trauma, and I even talk about intergenerational trauma, and what's in the journals of how these big, complex things impact our physical health. And this is really an emerging field in a way, isn't it? This mm-hmm. mind, this gut brain axis. I mean, I feel like 20 years ago, there weren't MDs really talking about this. And now it's becoming really pre- prevalent and people are really starting to understand that there is a direct correlation. So what is, you know, what is the medical research showing about that? How are they tracking trauma mm-hmm. and stress, et cetera, to inflammation in the body. So one way that they do it is typically questionnaires. One is that's pretty well mainstream is something called the ACE score, the adverse childhood experience score. So it's looking at childhood trauma, things like physical abuse in the home, sexual abuse growing up. Was there alcohol or drug abuse in the home growing up? And researchers have shown that the higher the ACE score, they're more likely compared to 
people that have lower ACE scores to have autoimmune issues triggered later on in mm -hmm. life, to have a hypervigilant nervous system triggered, on, triggered later on in life, or mental health issues and metabolic issues. So there's far-reaching implications to this, but it's really researchers looking at people that have gone through traumatic life events versus people that haven't and comparing both groups. Interesting. And many studies are really exploring that, and I really get to put down all the studies that are out there in gut feelings. And so how do you begin the process of unpacking all of this? I imagine most people arrive at your door when they haven't gotten a lot of answers from the traditional healthcare system, like me, for example, and they're, they know something's wrong and they're trying to figure out what it is. Mm -hmm. And they come to you and it could be a host of things, including trauma, including like something biological, like what is the process that you take a patient through to really do this detective work? It starts with the unsexy part of the poop test, <laughs> the poop test and asking questions is <laughs> it's what it is. Poop, poop test, blood test and asking questions. <laughs> so it is, it's a comprehensive consult. You know, I want to hold space for these people that are going through heavy things. So it is that that science and art that I always talk about. It's really at reading in between the lines many times because mm -hmm. people talking about stress and trauma to someone you just met online, their guards up sometimes. Yeah, of course. Even for the people that my patients have already made the decision to reach out to us, but still, you've never met them before and you're really going to places that they're probably not used to talking about. And well, sometimes it's so, you know, it's like your whole way of living is built around these defense systems. So even though mm -hmm. you're showing up, you think with an open heart and mind, like it's so programmed to not necessarily expose that stuff right exactly. away. No, it's so it's, we ask a lot of questions. We ask things like what if the outer third of your eyebrows are thinning? That can seem obscure to somebody not looking at the things we look at, but that's a sign that the thyroid may be off. Right. So we ask a lot of inquisitive, curious, granular questions sometimes. And things like the ACE score and other questionnaires can inform us what are the stones most likely to have something underneath it? Like what's mm -hmm. the most relevant labs for you to get the data? And things like trauma, we can know where they're at, what they've gone through, and what are they willing to do to really look at those dark corners to see how much mm -hmm. of a role are they playing in my health today? Last year, I had the opportunity to list my Montecito guest house on Airbnb. This was part of a special project that Airbnb spearheaded to build connection and to make the world feel a little less lonely. It was such a pleasure to get to know my Airbnb guests over dinner and share my home with them so that they could rest and recharge on their trip. But typically, the beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Being a host on Airbnb is great for those who travel frequently, have extra space, or own a seasonal home. If you've stayed at an Airbnb, you know the unique experience it offers. And now you can share that same experience with others in addition to earning additional income on the side. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com host. So people can concurrently start eating better supplementation if necessary, but you also, do you explicitly recommend, you know, some kind of like somatic work or trauma exploration or yeah. counseling? 
Yeah, all of the above, depending on what's needed and what are they willing for. And that's sort of the curation that we do for patients and knowing them and knowing what they're up for, knowing what resonates with them, knowing a lot of clinical experience to see what a case like theirs really does best with. And that's what I get to do in the book. Like I'm not there as their functional medicine doctor, but I wanted to show them basically 42. There's 21 different gut protocol items and 21 different feeling action mm -hmm. items for them to explore which ones resonate with them. They don't have to do all 42, but they can maybe pick a handful of ones that they read the research, they got excited about it and they, yeah, I want to do more of this. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do more than just within the protocol of the book. So it look, can look like somatic experiences. Like you said, it can look like breath work, which can be quite intensive, like holotropic breath work. And the research around holotropic is really stemming from the research around psychedelics. Yeah. And we can tap into these things endogenously with our own biochemistry through breath. And it's a way to metabolize tr stored trauma in our cells. And, and med different meditation practices I talk about. I talk about forest bathing and the research out of Japan mm -hmm. and South Korea. All of these things are meant to modulate the nervous system into more of a parasympathetic state. Because our autonomic nervous system, which has that sympathetic and parasympathetic, most people are stuck in that fight or flight stress state. Yeah. So there are a lot of entry points to support that parasympathetic. So if one doesn't resonate with you, there are others. Mm. Let's talk a little bit about the protocols in the book, because first of all, it's so well researched. There's so much amazing information. It's just, that's one of my favorite things about you is how academic you are. <laughs> you love my spreadsheets. I do. I really do. <laughs> you kind of make fun of me too, a little bit. But <laughs> you're so data driven and it's, I, it's so brilliant. The world is changing so much and the patient is demanding this kind of holistic care, this integrative care. So can you talk a little bit about what those protocols are, the food ones, yeah. especially if, if you want to start yeah, with that? Because sure. the book is so rich with amazing information and rubrics to follow. Absolutely. So I wanted to take the guesswork out of it. As far as the gut side of things, that second brain where 95% of serotonin is made, 50% of dopamine is made. So if you're talking about mental health, you want to look at what the predominance of neurotransmitters are made and stored, as well as where 75% of the immune system is made is in the gut. Inflammation is a product of the immune system. So if you're dealing with that neuroinflammatory problem, whether it be an autoimmune problem, dealing with systemic inflammation, or a neuroinflammatory problem like anxiety, depression, brain fog, fatigue, you want to look at the gut and what can you do to really nourish the gut, ground the gut, untangle these inflammatory cascades and subsequent food sensitivities, which is a lot of people are going through this. So one of the things on the gut side of it, in the protocol of the book, I talk about lots of soups and stews. So really, one of the gut protocols that I implement into patients' lives, I put it in the book, and it's really predicated on what's known as the gut and psychology syndrome, the GAPS protocol, right. or gut and physiology syndrome. It's used in different ways. It can be used for more physiological, i.e. autoimmune issues, or the psychological side of things, the gut-brain axis and mental health. So it's really giving your gut a break so it's not working on digesting foods because even healthy foods can be a lot to digest on a gut that's not in the best place and we're trying to give it this sort of proverbial 
siesta to mm-hmm. pr- repair and mend and work on healing and not digesting for a time. Mm-hmm. So soups and stews are a great way to kind of pre-digest the food, give your gut a bit of a break, and are very calming. And there's a reason why ancestrally, right, the people were given soups and stews. They just knew intuitively that these things were nourishing during times of illness. Mm. And so that's one of the action items in the book to really be supportive of that second brain. Mm. And then we, from there, we talk about different herbs and botanicals that have been shown in the research to be very supportive of brain health, like adaptogens and different neurotropics. So so much in there. So what what happens exactly when you calm the gut down to that degree? Like what happens to the mental health piece? Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot of crosstalk happening that researchers are really looking at between the gut bacteria, the metabolites they produce, these products they produce, like short-chain fatty acids like butyrate, which actually crosses the blood-brain barrier and is used in the brain to optimize brain health. So the more you're lowering systemic inflammation, the more it's going to help the brain indirectly. But also when you're improving the terrain of the microbiome, the second brain, it's allowing the gut and the bacteria within the gut to produce the proper metabolites to communicate to the brain to work properly. So if somebody's feeling anxious and exhausted, someone's feeling depressed or brain foggy, those things start to alleviate as you're supporting the upstream root mechanism of why they have the problem in the first place. So instead of them saying, okay, mental health in a vacuum, sort of this obscure philosophical thing of this chemical imbalance, what's causing that chemical imbalance? For many people, at least, researchers are pointing to this inflammatory component. Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. Tumi has a soft side. Discover their new Acer bag collection in its pillowy pleats, satin finish, and crescent shape. Acer is the bag to carry for your 9 to 5 and the 5 to 9 plans that follow. Versatility, after all, is Tumi's signature. Shop the full Acer collection on Tumi.com or at a Tumi store near you. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. In the book, you talk about, I think you coined a new phrase, shame inflammation, mm-hmm. which is so interesting that there's a link between the feelings of shame regarding yourself in such a low way and like living in that low vibration that it can actually cause inflammation in the body. Is that mm-hmm. right? Yeah, so shame inflammation is a completely made up term for me to, in my mind, for my patients to describe this mental, emotional, spiritual component impacting the physical. So shame, when you're talking about trauma, I mean, it doesn't take much thinking to know that shame is a major part of trauma. And also, when you're talking about chronic stress, just daily, the average person that's going through that frenetic, chronic stress state, there's a level of shame because... They don't feel like they can be the best partner. They're snapping at their kids, snapping at their partner. They're not able to maybe take care of their wellness the way that they want to. They feel like a failure. They feel overwhelmed. That is shame. So shame inflammation is just things that I see. These people feeling varying degrees, different sources of it, but just like they're not good enough. So shame inflammation in the book was just my description of this mental, emotional, spiritual thing 
that people are dealing with and how it's impacting things like interleukin-6. There's one study that I talked about in the book. of It was a study looking at people doing difficult things, like it was math <laughs> and public speaking, which apparently are the two ways that we can get stressed as humans. <laughs> and they had higher, higher interleukin-6 levels, IL-6, which is, they're typically actually... The surrogate marker for that on labs would be high-sensitivity C-reactive protein, which is very common. So basically, in the, the, the study, it was really looking at higher inflammation levels from people that were doing stressful things that were overwhelming to them. People that had higher self-compassion scores, they were practicing self-compassion, had lower interleukin-6 levels. And the day two, when they thought, okay, maybe people were getting used to it, it's less stressful, less overwhelming... They thought inflammation levels would come lower, but actually they spiked even higher, higher inflammation levels. But again, the people that had the most self-compassion had the lowest inflammation levels. So I think that's just one study that I talk about in the book that shows this connection between our mental emotional health and how that influences our biochemistry. Mm. It's really interesting. I mean, when I think about now you're helping to create this language around you know, this lexicon for, because there, there are just so many conceivable outcomes and reasons for why people, you know, and you don't know with mental health, like, is it the chicken or the egg? Is it because something traumatic happened? Is it because the, there was something wrong with the gut first? Or is it, you know, the other way? And it's so interesting to hear you talk about the bi-directional nature of that. And just that there's this sort of opening around looking at us as whole human beings who've mm-hmm. gone through all of these things and that, you know, like the book, like my stepson's reading the, the body keeps the score. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's really true. Our bodies, if we are not constantly listening to ourselves and, and processing, like we get stuck and, and things mm-hmm. stop functioning. Yeah, absolutely. And for most people, it's going to be a bit of both, like the chicken or the egg, because it's a big bi-directional, like negative feedback loop, Right. where the more gut inflammation, for example, if they more dysbiosis in their gut, more things like SIBO, mold toxicity, those things will create things like anxiety and depression and brain fog and fatigue. But then people it's exacerbated because they're more anxious and depressed about feeling that way. Mm-hmm. So it's this big vicious cycle and everybody's entry points going to be different when it comes to okay what are the bigger needle movers for me is it more the gut or the more the feelings for most of us it's going to be a bit of both we talked about the people who come to see you and tend to knock on your door like have a certain degree of openness Mm -hmm. is it hard to hear that there's this life component to biological issues that unresolved trauma are people open to hearing that or most of the time my patients are open to it they may not be they may they have not made the connection yet but they're they're trusting enough of the process because i think they've done enough research on our work and they know where we stand and they're open to learning more about it and they'll ask questions and they're definitely not going to just go blindly but they want to they want to feel better and they're willing to try some different things. I occasionally, I think I'll tell you a patient that happened a few weeks ago. She was actually very demonstrative in saying, no, I'm not going to go there. She thought, okay, I was going to give her some foods to focus on, run some poop tests, (laughs) run some blood tests. 
and <clears throat> put her on a pr- food protocol and give her some supplements. But and then I started talking about this mental, emotional, spiritual stuff, and her A score was really high. Not just her childhood stuff, but her current life stuff was really high. And I, I respected her boundaries. And I said, look, I'm just planting that seed. If you want to come back to it at a certain point. And for some people, that's their entry point, right? Yeah. And I'll tell you what's shocking about the specific case. Because normally, I revisit this conversation months down the line. Because they gained, they feel better. Inflammation levels lower. They have more of a bandwidth and resilience to actually deal with the mental, emotional, spiritual trauma stuff. For her, it was two weeks later just on the gut protocol, she, she told someone on my team, hey, he mentioned this during the consult. I'm ready, I'm ready now. So for her, it was enough of just planting the seed, feeling a little bit better, working on her gut, and she had more of a, her nervous system was calmed enough, I yeah. think, to say, I'm ready to go there now. And also, what starts to happen when you follow a protocol like yours and you start to feel better, you realize that you have a strong foundation that you can rely on, which is not the case when you're feeling really, really terrible, when you have chronic fatigue and terrible brain fog and all that stuff that Mm -hmm. so many of us have in the modern world. And when you start to feel better, you're like, oh, wait, I can rely on myself. There's a foundation here. And so Mm -hmm. I think you can be a little bit braver to go somewhere a little bit more difficult. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and the way that I always see it in my mind is this sort of center, this foundation that our patients built for themselves. Mm-hmm. And they can pivot from that center, but there's this sort of knowingness, this confidence in themselves that they, yeah, they're more mm-hmm. confident. They can go to the areas that maybe were just insurmountable, seemed insurmountable earlier on, but there's this confidence that's regained yeah. when you start leaning in. So the link between eating and anxiety, so is it anything inflammatory causes anxiety? Like if we find ourselves as, as, as we all do in a, you know, a point in time where we feel incredible stress or anxiety around something and we're trying to support ourselves with whatever, you know, yoga or a meditation practice or whatever, what is the food piece of specifically eating for anxiety or calming the nervous system. Sure. And it's going to depend on the person, right? Because inflammation can manifest in different ways for different people. And it's always multifactorial, right? It's this plus this plus this. So it's the interplay between genetics and epigenetics. Some people are genetically more prone to things, things like anxiety and depression. Yeah. There are different methylation gene variants which impact detox pathways, inflammation levels, how neurotransmitters are expressed. But depending on the person and the study that you're looking at, it's about a third. Genetics are about a third of the puzzle. Mm. But two-thirds is environmental. It's lifestyle. It's epigenetic. So it's the foods we're eating or not eating, our stress levels, our exposure to toxins, nutrient deficiencies, and things like trauma and chronic stress. Mm -hmm. So it's a confluence, this perfect storm of variables. So let's say somebody has some methylation gene variants that make them more prone to things like anxiety, and then they have underlying gut problems, the second brain, which is contributing to that neuroinflammation. And there's probably more factors than that, but let's just keep it simple for this example, is that the foods that they eat are going to be at the very least major contributing factors to their anxiety. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's going to set off that inflammatory cascade. And in that 
weakness, so to speak, for that person, that 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 area in their health that needs extra support isn't getting the support it needs. Mm. So maybe GABA, for example, GABA is the anti-anxiety neurotransmitter. The GABA to glutamate ratio, the anti-anxiety versus the more anxiety excitotoxin production in the body is imbalanced. But it's originating in the gut in this example. And yes, we can look at genetics, but what's triggering that genetic predisposition? What's upstream to that genetic variant? So that, that's an example of how food is really influencing that person's anxiety. Mm. So people need to be, if you're going through anxiety, really be mindful of supporting that second brain and doing everything you can to calm it. And then, you know, within the books, and if you have a functional medicine doctor, you can use different herbs and botanicals that are very supportive of these GABAergic, these anti-anxiety pathways. Mm-hmm. When you think about this book coming out into the world, it, it's such an amazing achievement. What are you most excited about? I'm ex- so excited because I feel this conversation is coming out it's the, uh, at the right place at the right time. And I hope it moves the needle in the conversation around autoimmune issues and around mental health issues. Mm -hmm. Because so many people, as I mentioned earlier, there's so much medical gaslighting going on for these people. Mm -hmm. And I want a lot of aha moments. I want a lot of like, yes, I knew I wasn't crazy. I knew I wasn't, I'm I'm so glad I I wasn't alone. And I I found my people. Mm -hmm. I found, like I found a tribe and a resource that I can learn more. Well, with you as their guide, absolutely. Thanks for joining today's conversation with Dr. Will Cole. His book, Gut Feelings, is out now. I can't recommend it enough. Thanks for tuning in. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. I hope you'll listen, follow, rate, and review all of our episodes, which are available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts.